0: Esoterics Aaron is here. Say hi. Hi there. <laughs> and uh, we're going to do a live show <laughs> from my uh, from my desk. It's desktop uh, desktop broadcasting uh, once again from Aradia Mysterioso. Oh, which um, intro do you, do you want? Do you you want
1: the um, well I'll, the anti ETH one? I haven't heard that one before. So let's, uh, oh, really? let's okay. hear it.
0: Uh, Aaron is actually in the studio, so he can hear it. Or this is sitting next to me at my desk, he can actually hear this for the. For the first time, here we go. Uh, Anti-ETH, Roddy Mysterioso, intro for September 4th of 2016. Welcome.
2: No, the the whole extraterrestrial thing is not uh, not a viable solution to this.
0: We, we need to go f- through a turning point in the study of of this whole domain away from ideology we're not here to prove that we're being visited by, you know, aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the
2: basic work. I have this hunch that, the, uh, that, this, that this phenomenon is, um, comes, from, comes from some sort of domain of pure information. And the fact that they can interact with us at all suggests that uh, that we inhabit a domain. It's also pure information. Are we uh, go condition? You- yes.
0: a great song but we're not gonna play that one yeah, there we go wow uh aaron's here with us this evening hello
1: all right hello everyone how you doing
0: perfect so uh low-tech uh, microphone passing i hope we don't uh, have uh putting uh, pass any germs between us uh, uh, do you know, Aaron, somebody said uh, one of my favorite interviews ever, that was Stephanie. She, oh, somebody's already typing on this show. Um, I also have to, since I'm the host, engineer, and producer, I have to watch the um, feeds here. So it, uh, some of my uh, responses will be very uh, quick. And There we go. Um, so if you go to the Roddy Mysterioso site, there's a, oh, God, I've got beer There's a chat room about uh, three-quarters of the way down the right side of the uh, page. And then, of course, there's the uh, Facebook, Rena Mysterio. So Aaron recently moved to Los Angeles, and this makes it very inconvenient for him to come and uh, do a show live uh, instead of doing it at the uh, radio station, which I was considering going back to. um, Kill Radio is back on the air right now, actually. Um, But I'm not sure if I'm going to go back there because I've got this working and it's so much more convenient. Um, So probably we'll stay here. Anyway, uh, you just recently moved back to L.A., right?
1: Yeah, no, this is my first time in L.A. I uh, I came here from San Francisco, uh, uh, but uh, originally from New York. So this is the uh, fifth or sixth month I've been in L.A. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, sorry about moving the microphone back and forth, but that's how it's going to be for this show. Uh, and uh, if people do not know, uh, Aaron is uh, Esoterics, and he's the one behind the Esoterics blog. And I don't know how I found the bo- God, I think maybe Bruce duensing told me about it at first. Um, the late Bruce duensing told me about this site and how amazing it was. It's as if you took some of the stuff that was in the uh, on the old... Um, UFO mystic and made it about 10 times smarter and about 10 times more varied than what we talked about because generally it's just UFO stuff what Aaron does is talk about things like uh, the one I posted the other day actually linked to the coast to coast site was about a 19th century French tourist was he yeah two of them that uh, that had
1: a problem with a mummy (laughs) What what happened with that one? Well, those two, uh, were, there were two stories in the 19th century where archaeologists uh, were, happened to be in uh, Egypt, and I believe one was in the Sudan, and were investigating uh, artifacts. And it was uh, at the time, of course, uh, Europe kind of believed everything was theirs. If they saw it first, they took it. And in this instance, these guys uh, grabbed a mummy. Uh, and <laughs> they took that mummy and they put the mummy into a uh, tent for, uh, storage until they were going to ship it back to, uh, to, to, to England. Oh. And once they, uh, Here, they, they uh, and then, uh, the guy had some bad dreams. Now everybody's like, yeah, it doesn't matter that much. Somebody's having bad dreams when they have a mummy sitting in their tent, <laughs> but the, the, Thing that he did that uh, was rather uh, savvy, I would say, is unlike a lot of people who run into ghosts and say, "Oh, ghosts don't exist," so I'm ignore the fact that there are glasses flying around my house, or you know, a UFO lands and mutilates your cattle, and you say, "Oh no, uh, you know, th- that couldn't have been aliens," but you know, your cattle are dead, so that doesn't really help you much. Uh, this guy was smart. He he had the technique of paying attention when he had a dream about this mummy strangling him in his sleep, and it's a fairly, you know, complicated dream. Uh, but he uh, he did the smart thing. He put the mummy back, and then they uh, he stopped having the dreams. And nothing else happened to the guy. No curse affected him. Nothing, uh, nothing happened to this guy in the rest of his life after putting the mummy back. And there's a, uh, I believe it's a 17th century story uh, where an embalmer who was the leading ex- expert at the time on mummification uh, did the same thing. He had a mummy. He was going to put it on a boat, and... And sail it back. They got on the boat. He started having horrible dreams about what was going to you know, happen to him if he actually didn't put this mummy back. And he tossed the mummy overboard. Dreams stopped. Everything was fine. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit about playing the odds. I, if you see something happening, whether you believe it or not, you, know, you, you probably should do something about it. Which yeah. is why I called the, the whole article that I had written about it. Uh, Folklore is an early warning system that. You're, you know, no, you may not believe in it, but there's this vast early warning system out there. People telling you things like don't go into the uh, in the dark forest late at night or uh, <laughs> don't go to places where uh, you're likely to be eaten by monsters. And, you know, if you don't pay attention to that, you sort of pay the consequences.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, it sounds it it's the uh, it, well, it's it's the subtitle for your um your your th- Your blog, actually, if Monsters don't exist, why are they out to get me? (laughs) Where where did you come up with that one? I hate to start sounding like a normal radio show host, but that one has bothered me.
1: Well, honestly, that was just sort of some nascent paranoia I had by reading a lot of uh, on strange phenomena, saying, uh, and then reading the skeptical responses to them and wondering, you know, if these things don't exist, why are so many people over so many thousands of years worried about them? Well, I, I don't care if they exist in any objective sense, but somebody's trying to tell us something and maybe we should listen. Hey, you know, there's some meaning there worth paying attention to. And if... You you know If you ignore what the folklore says about when the plague comes knocking on your door and you don't hang the hook, there's old uh, medieval uh, techniques for making sure you don't catch the plague. If you don't follow them, well, you know, <laughs> you're playing the odds. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work. It's the same thing as, uh, you know, you go to Las Vegas and, uh, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But, you know, you, you got to play to win, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, the first thing it makes me think is, um, when some of this weird stuff happens, and I'm, I'm going to pull it right into my stupid, you know, headspace. But um, the minute something starts happening, you enter a space or a headspace or a what is the word psychological and psychic space where different rules than physical um, explanations apply. Does that make, seem make sense to you?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I don't like to berate skeptics all that much. I, well, I, I, I don't I don't absolutely hate berating skeptics. I mean, I like just generally being yeah. annoying. Yeah. But uh, I I started considering uh, this concept that I've been calling the skeptic cascade. Ah, yeah,
5: I saw that.
1: <laughs> and uh, what I think the skeptic cascade is the inevitable result of whenever somebody reports something that sounds unnatural. It's it. It, it goes in stages. They are at first declared ignorant, and sometimes that that works. Sometimes they say, "Oh, you know, this is a person from uh, a trailer park somewhere who doesn't have an education and isn't going to understand anything and has all sorts of strange superstitions." Except that there are lots of witnesses that aren't, and so then the skeptical cascade leads into, uh, "Well, they're not ignorant; it was misidentification," which is nice but problematic when the misidentification is being done by somebody who probably is more of an expert on, on the subject than the people who are saying that they misidentified. Yeah. I, I mean, take pilots uh, who see UFOs. It's right. kind of important to your job to know what that stuff is in the air that's flying at you and what kind of movements a different aircraft can make. So you're not likely to misidentify. And then once right. that fails, The next step in the skeptic cascade is simply to say, oh, there's uh, uh, some sort of personal peccadillo. This person is attention seeking. Except that so many people that report these things are reluctant to report them. They don't want their names used. They don't want to, you know, they don't want anybody to think they're crazy. Which then, of course, leads to the last stage where people are considered crazy. <laughs> and after you've declared that this person is hallucinating and obviously crazy, right. then yeah. you can kind of rule out any further investigation. We're going to go chasing after somebody's hallucination, which which is, is very interesting in that there was a recent uh, World Health Organization report. Well, it's not that recent, 2015, World Health Organization report Studied over thirty thousand people in eighteen different countries and came to the conclusion that one in twenty people have experienced uh, a hallucination at some point in their lives, and uh, a hallucination defined as something that wasn 't there or a delusion that somebody was uh, was following them or controlling their mind. basically they were saying one in twenty people has some sort of crazy experience yeah. that sounds an awful lot like the paranormal yeah, I, experiences. I saw that post, yeah. And the, the problem uh, with that is it leads into this uh, notion of, so are all people susceptible to being a little bit crazy or is there something to these phenomena? And I started digging around in the psychological phenomena uh, <laughs> A little bit, yeah, a little bit of both. But I started digging around this in the phenomena that people w- who were interested were using to Sort of address these strange phenomena, why are people seeing these things and I came across the the one that 's been around for a while, which is schizotypy, which is the idea that uh, we're not a, a, we're not on a daily basis crazy that being uh, being ha, being susceptible to hallucinations uh, is something that everybody has and it 's just a dimension of personality and so you land somewhere across a continuum of possible uh, Personality traits that would make you prone to psychosis or to hallucination. And it just reeks of convenience to me that it is much easier to say that everybody is a little bit crazy to say that maybe something that is outside our natural, (laughs) what our natural science is capturing, is happening. But that leads to the question about if people have been seeing things for thousands of years is it adaptive for them to do so and if it's adaptive there's got to be an evolutionary reason that it is adaptive right. which makes me think well you live to report <laughs> what you saw so people who see these who see ufo's who see monsters who see all the scary things that go bump in the night Live to tell the tale and reproduce. Yeah, <laughs> so there's yeah. obviously an evolutionary advantage to this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if there's an evolutionary advantage to it, you know, maybe you should pay attention, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> now you got me thinking I got to go get another uh, microphone here when I have people in the studio or in the, in the bedroom in my office. Um, it's interesting you say that because, you know, the, the, the recent uh, thing that I've been a huge fan of is, you, have you heard of Donald Hoffman from uh, Yes, You Have? Um, from UC Irvine and his TED talk about um, uh, evolutionary uh, cognitive psychology, I guess, what his, you know, and you know what he talks about. His idea is that we see what is evolutionarily or um, which whatever contributes to our fitness, meaning our survival. Meaning if you're hungry, there could be a hundred things going on in your environment and you're only going to pay attention to the two or three or four things that have to do with you getting food. Um, and he, you know, he tries to, uh, expand that into if there's a hundred things going on in our environment normally, what the hell are those other things going on that we do not notice, you know?
1: Well, I think one thing you ought to worry about is false pattern recognition gets you killed. I I mean yeah. the uh, your, a false pattern recognition gets you eaten by lions you know it gets you uh, <laughs> you, yeah. you, you yeah, miss you miss the fact that the ice age is coming <laughs> you know <laughs> and and so is is it that people are are just hypersensitive or is it that this pattern recognition that they're they're doing is actually saving their lives and they live to reproduce so I, I it's I, it's my uh, Darwinian take on strange phenomena <laughs> Yeah well
0: it it's because uh that idea of Hoffman's actually supports you because if you're noticing stuff that is is important to your fitness and your survival i guess that weird stuff is important
1: to your survival right absolutely and the uh the that that actual, considering that, uh, led me into uh, n- another series of, of somewhat disturbing thoughts. And you'll probably notice that, that that's kind of my oeuvre, you know, <laughs> one disturbing thought after another. Yeah,
0: I, I told a friend recently I live to be disturbed.
1: <laughs> but that was that... Uh You take something like uh uh Graham Hancock or uh Von Daniken, you know, and we all like to have fun with von Daniken, yeah. but uh and I recently wrote an, uh, an article uh, on this called uh, uh called the uh the 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 Trading Wheels of the Gods you know obviously <laughs> making making fun of uh, von Daniken's chariots of the gods yeah. but the the idea is that Especially, probably in the past 10 years, it may have started earlier than that, but we want gotcha history. What is uh, gotcha history? Well, by gotcha history, I mean the we don't want to know that history is just a little bit different from what we've been told. We want that history that is overturned. We want to know that everything we've ever been taught is wrong and everything is, is not the way we were, you know, our parents told us or our schools told us. And so when you take stories that just are slight modifications of the common understanding of history, it allows you to not, look like you're trying to change the world and our conception of the world and that aliens did everything and things like that, but say it's not exactly necessarily how... We, it, basically, I, I, pu- I pulled a bait-and-switch on people in in this article because I talked about a, uh, a guy named uh, João Vaz-Corte-Réal who was a Portuguese guy who in 1472, you know, so 20 years before Columbus, along with a, a crew of Danes and Germans... Probably discovered Newfoundland. Uh, they were looking for Greenland. Uh, the, what happened to the the, the Norse colonies that had been Greenland? They yeah. they they disappeared for a while. They hadn't had a lot of contact, so they were looking for them. They sailed around. They discovered something they called the New Land of Codfish, which you can't really sell really well to colonists. I mean, the New World sounds like it might be something worth going to. The New Land of Codfish, where you have to like cod a lot to <laughs> to show up there. Um, but there's really nothing so extraordinary about his story. It's uh, they were pay. It was a joint expedition with the King of Portugal and the King of Denmark, and they wanted to try and establish. Uh, you know, they were looking for northern trade routes. They wanted to reestablish contact with colonies in, in Greenland, and which of course no longer existed. Those those had disappeared uh, pretty quickly. But and stumbled across Newfoundland, remarked on it, noted it. And they came back, and the king of Portugal gave gave this Cortes Real guy. You know, he gave him, and he became governor of an island in in the Azores. You know, as 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 a payment essentially for for having made this great discovery, and then the land of codfish, the land of codfish. and. Uh, these were not people who had good publicists obviously because they didn't uh, <laughs> you know, you we're not celebrating I think it was Pinehorst and Piling or something were the other two guys and you know Pinehorst and Piling Day sounds kind of painful so <laughs> yeah, I think they went with Columbus Day at some point yeah. and you know Portugal not long after merges with Spain and and you know disappears you know into the, the, the greater Spanish kingdom so you what you get is this story that's eminently plausible. Just 20 years, 20 years before Columbus, a guy who maybe moved in the same circles as Columbus. Yeah. And when Columbus went to the King of Portugal for money to try and, you know, explore the new world, he, the, he wasn't interested. Well, he probably wasn't interested because they'd already found it. <laughs> they knew it was there. They just weren't doing anything about it. And, and there's nothing about that that makes people go, wow, that's, you know, that's creepy and that's eerie and uh, how strange it's 20 years. But the point I want to make and like I said, I'm not trying to change the world. I just want to be annoying. I want to sort of get under people's skins and say, if, if you can buy this, if you can buy the 20 years difference, what about 50 years? What about 100 years? What about 1,000 years? You know, And you go back and forth. And you've got, of course, the North discovered it and the Chinese discovered it. And it goes on and on. But my point is, at what point do we start to say it's impossible? And based on what? And I think a lot of it has to do how many records have burned, how many things have we lost, how much information have we lost. And in fact, the funny thing about Cortez Real and the guys that he sailed with is it may have been well documented, but I believe the Danish records of the t- this particular period of time were burned in a fire at some point. And it's well recorded. The fire was recorded and, and it burned all these records. And these guys just sort of faded from history. Nobody's heard of them anymore. Um, but if you can believe 20 years difference, then you have to start asking the question. We've all, of course, grew up, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, right? right. And discovered the new world. And since then, there's a cottage industry in proving that he wasn't the guy, <laughs> right. exactly. but it's not a cottage industry of saying, yeah, somebody knew 20 years before him and maybe landed, you know, or, or saw Newfoundland. It's an industry of saying, we're going to overturn all of history. The Norse were, you know, fighting with Indians in uh, <laughs> in North America, and uh, the Han Chinese had landed on the Pacific coast, which, again, sure, you know, nice narrative, and yeah, you, I'm not going to uh, confirm or deny <laughs> exactly, Interesting. but it's gotcha history. It's everything yeah. we've been taught is completely different from what we think, and I, I think a lot of that, it's what pyramidology, it's what uh, the, the appeal of a lot of of strange phenomena is is the scandal side and it's kind of like modern media across all sorts of things from politics to <laughs> to, to 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 science we want the scandal yeah. and strange phenomena is just as susceptible to that and that's uh, at least in in my mind that's why we uh, the popularity of of certain kinds of of shows now reality shows and and shows where they're sort of doing that gotcha we got something on camera of course it's arguable what they got on camera but it's important that they get something on camera and it's because right. it's that gotcha
0: something on camera that they can yeah, uh, support the gotcha thing and it's not even. yeah it's i guess i see it more as what can we say to people that flatters their prejudice that an authority figure is wrong um and it's funny because then you go to, you know, since I have this excluded middle mind, I don't want to go completely back in that direction. I want to take, you know, as you do when you, you show these things that um, at your blog, is that there isn't a gotcha. It's more like maybe we didn't know everything and maybe we have to slightly revise what we're talking about or include some other facts that come to light. But people don't like that because that involves subtle thinking, I think. Or um, not even subtle thinking, but just say subtle. Like it's not an and or; it's a a both and. And trying to weigh those things doesn't work with the way history is presented now, and the news is presented now, and all that. It it can't be, and I don't know if it ever was, but I think the the subtlety has been lost because of immediacy. And this is something I've been thinking of recently: is the way that information can get out so damned quickly that there is no time for circumspect, you know, uh, reflection on any of it. I used to hear something insane, you know, when I was a kid. And I thought, that's, re- that's really interesting and totally cool. And since you're a kid, you're like, well, it must be true because it's totally insane. And that, and that person is a grown-up and they suck. But then you, you get older and you're, you hear a piece of information that you think that's very interesting and used to be, you know... Before the internet, I think it was, well, let's see how much I can find on this. And stuff would percolate in your brain for quite a long time. And there would be no challenges to it for quite a long time. So you'd find new information. And instead of discarding the old information that had been percolating in your brain that you'd been told for years, you'd say, how long can I go before I discard this old information? And now people want to discard it right away, you know? So...
1: Well, have you seen the recent article by Michael Shermer in Scientific American? He, uh, Michael Shermer, I, I think of him the skeptic I skeptic. Yeah, where he talks uh, he, he, he talks about how to measure supernatural phenomena. Can we measure it or should we even bother? And I, I, I read that article and I just started banging my head on the desk <laughs> because it was encapsulated everything that, uh, complaints that I get when I'm arguing with skeptics. That ultimately, the people who are interested in paranormal phenomena and supernatural history and strange history, just in, in interested in, in playing with some of these ideas, do not believe in an objective reality. They're the worst kind of postmodernist there is out there. That yeah, that that because that is saying because science has been wrong before, there is no you know currency to any current theory that's uh, any <laughs> that's any better than things that were rejected in the past. And, I, you know, I stopped them right there. I said, I'm the worst kind of, uh, you know, postmodernist. I mean, obviously, the worst kind of postmodernist is Althusser because he strangled his wife to death and got away with it. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Althusser, a big postmodern uh, philosopher that... Uh, the, yeah, I am stupid. I uh, no, no, no. He's, but they, they, they teach him in all the social science okay. program, grad schools these days. So this, uh, is, this is the same thing
0: they do with uh, showing Wilhelm Reich with crazy hair to say that, well, he must be crazy. Look at his hairdo. Oh,
1: absolutely. But the the we're not even necessarily talking about whether there's an objective reality. We you know there's so many people don't reject science. Yeah. And then if you look at and and one common complaint you hear is, you know, paranormal investigators, supernatural investigators and you know, I don't consider myself necessarily one of those. I'm more I uh, I'm more of a historian of the strange than <laughs> than an investigator strange cuz yeah, I don't want to get eaten. So, you know, I I, <laughs> I I tend to like to do my research, you know, but uh you know, I'm not gonna go wander around in the black forest and and, <laughs> and try and see if there's any truth to it. Oh, you're one of
0: those dudes. Uh, yeah. you're one of those
1: uh armchair
0: researchers, are you? Get out of
1: here. <laughs> well, you know, actually let me take that back. i think this whole <laughs> let, let me take a little bit of that back i i, I for free i'll do arm <laughs> research. <laughs> but it, there's a a certain level of trying to i it, it, that where it doesn't matter that it's it there's no objective reality that that whether you believe there's an objective reality or not it's that's the the oh, sorry. label yeah, sorry that's where the the that's the label that gets applied that uh you're discrediting science like i'm not discrediting science at all i i think science is great i you know i i'm annoyed that my microwave doesn't uh you know the times for cooking on microwave food don't ever match up but you know I, i'm forgiving And I'm, you know, uh, there's a lot of variables involved, and I'm willing to add, you know, an extra minute here or there without rejecting science as a methodology. (laughs) My, but again, it's a methodology, and it's fascinating, and it it is an approximation, and I think that's where we start to get in the issue of. uh, And I've had this argument with skeptics before that, you know, they say, "Well, there's probability, there's statistics." I said, "Statistics exists to even out those anomalies, so that." When you get data that doesn't make sense, you can explain it away, (laughs) which is great. if, Yeah, and that works really well. But we're not necessarily looking at phenomena that are susceptible to that sort of, they would call it teleological reasoning, that this has happened the same way, you know, you toss a coin, you know, 50% of the time you're going to (laughs) get heads, 50% you're going to get tails, except on any given instance. It's, It's very messy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it evens out over many, many trials, yeah, yeah. but we're explaining backwards. We're explaining what happened based on a series of trials, and perhaps that doesn't cover some of the unnatural things that we're talking about. Yeah.
5: I was thinking,
0: yeah, when you said that, I said, we're explaining backwards based on somebody told us something, which is just horrible to, a, to somebody that is interested in uh, yeah. in a strict scientific method. I don't know. I feel stupid right now, but... If you have a strict scientific method and you're relying on eyewitness testimony for something that cannot be measured, then it becomes something you either you ignore, you make fun of, or it is uh, not important, you know what I mean? And the, the fact that when somebody who is trained scientifically decides to, to take witness testimony as something that might be important... That that is when I get interested in those those kind of people. Valet did this a long time ago. Um, Keel did this a long time ago. Um, uh, m- m- strangely enough, I think that uh, no matter how you feel about him, Whitley Strieber has been doing this with himself and and other people. So you know, you know. So, Aaron, how important do you think we can make a witness testimony? And do you think we should abandon? other you know respectable people trying to trying to convince respectable people that witness testimony is is uh worth listening to if you know what i mean
1: well i mean eyewitness testimony and again you hear this a lot that eyewitness testimony is is not reliable you hear it in court cases uh, that uh, the eyewitness is always not going to remember facts exactly as they were, presuming, of course, that we understand the facts as they were, which it always struck me as a little bit odd. That uh, that we're going to rule out eyewitness testimony, but unless, of course, it supports our argument, which is what we do on both sides. <laughs> eyewitness uh, testimony, if it supports our argument yeah. that this didn't happen, you know, if, if if you get something strange falling from the sky and everybody's sure it's meat, then... Uh, <laughs> and if uh, eyewitness testimony, including tasting it, says it's meat, yeah. well, it can't be. It's got to be something else because a, a, pri- if a priori, meat doesn't fall from the sky. Exactly. And the the... Thing is, the argument that there hasn't been real scientific investigation is an interesting one because if you look at somebody like the, the organizations like the Society for Psychical Research, for instance, they did hundred years of work, and a lot of the guys involved in that uh, were some of the golden boys of you know the dawn of modern science, and to look back and say people weren't trying to to record this or weren't trying to investigate scientifically. People have been trying to investigate this scientifically, and the conclusion they've come to is something strange is happening. Maybe we're investigating it the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't... I don't uh, again, the people who are doing scientific investigations of, 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 you know, of various... you know. I, I don't really think you've got a lot of people who are scientifically investigating ghosts anymore. Or, uh, but you could argue that you have people that are cryptozoologists, for instance... Many of them are actual you know scientists yeah. who are looking for things that that exist simply because we keep finding new things that exist. Right. Now you look at the Bigfoot and it 's true we don 't have a carcass of Bigfoot sitting around that we can point to, and we don 't have a DNA sample of bigfoot and the truth is i 'm not all that interested in bigfoot be- and i 'm not interested in bigfoot what? Why not? no no i 'm not interested in Bigfoot precisely because there 's more testimony evidence thousands of years of people reporting hairy non-human things wandering around in some close proximity to us than there are for a lot of anthropological theories (laughs) that are considered gospel and uh, to me it's not you know whatever they are remnant neanderthals you know uh, i I was like the hairy ghost theory myself a bigfoot yeah that the reason we can't catch him is because he's actually a ghost Yeah. (laughs) yeah Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, a lot of times you could say that. Uh, uh, why don't we have? Uh, Neander- well, and it does beg the question, though, uh, that I, I'm not the first to raise this question. That's why do some ghosts come back and others don't? Because you know, what lots. Well, you know, because you always need a backstory for a ghost, right? You know, people really need the, to understand why a ghost came back. They were angry. They were murdered. They were, you know, they want to, you know, make sure their children get taken care of. There's always a backstory to yeah. the ghost. And uh, I found some, uh, a few writings that were interesting where people were asking the question, um, what, are there some ghosts that are just better than other ghosts and they're allowed to come back? Is there some <laughs> sort of weird celestial bureaucracy yeah. that you know you are a more deserving ghost so you can go back and the rest of you got to stay here otherwise we should be seeing a lot of ghosts because we're yeah, like
0: those, those classist, those... those classist racist uh, uh ghosts
1: uh, uh judges yeah we're not a nice species people are doing <laughs> nasty stuff to each other all the time so we gotta you gotta wonder why do some ghosts get to come back and others you know just kind of vanish and fade into obscurity <laughs> yeah well i've
0: Uh, Richard Sennett told me that uh, the uh, ghost hunting guy he said that um, uh, that hauntings usually they have a life they have a lifetime they will usually go for about 200 years and then fade out Um, and I wouldn't know why that would happen uh, you know (laughs) are are they are you decreed 200 years of uh, of haunting before you get shut off or to make your case or what I, I don't know how that works.
1: Well, I always like that ghosts always appear in, you know, where are all the old Roman ghosts? You know, I mean, there's... Well, yeah, but there's a civilization that ruled a large part of the earth for a long period of time. And yet, you know, I've seen one or two, and they're usually in Britain, uh, 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 reports of Roman ghosts. And otherwise, you would figure, you know, a lot of people lived and died under Rome. (laughs) We should have more Roman ghosts. But of course, you always, the ghost is always... Dressed in old-timey clothing, but not so old. Not too old. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and why do ghosts have to dress? If I'm ever a ghost, you know, I, to not have to get clothes, I mean, that's cool. I, <laughs> but you, know, you don't. You see it. Close within time, and so that either you know you can take two tacks on that the one that you suggested, which is is there a time span that two hundred years and you're done you know if you haven't accomplished what you meant to accomplish as a ghost you know you're you're some kind of loser ghost, I guess, and they just you get tossed aside but uh why is it that uh the time is so important that uh that that it be so close in time to see something that we can recognize as as Close enough to us, but not of us, right. uh, which leads me to say, well, maybe we do. It's Bigfoot, and Bigfoot's a hairy ghost. So it's Neanderthals. You know, they lived and died. There must have been some ghosts to them, right? You know? <laughs> well, they you know, they, may, they they may not be ghosts. They may be
0: some other uh, order of paranormality that is uh, experience experienceable by us. Um, but as you know, as a for the ghosts, while you were saying that, I thought. Well, you know what? Maybe it's not because it's something that's determined by time and how long ago something happened or how important it is, but how relevant it is to us at this point so things closer in time to us may be more comprehensible. Therefore, um, you can tune to it better, I suppose. And maybe a, a Roman ghost is so far outside of our... Understanding of of uh, you know a Roman f- mindset is sufficiently divorced from what our mindset is that maybe we just can't understand the Roman ghost, so it has no relevance to us. See w- what I'm pulling up here is um, uh, a lot of uh, paranormal researchers say that. If something has relevance to the witness or the psychic or whatever, it's a lot more likely to come through or be accurate, however you want to call it. The channel is more open because of personal relevance. And I'm, I'm pushing this forward as maybe, you know, possibly why ghosts are, you know, I never thought about that. They're only, you know, 100 or 200 years away from us at the very most. And maybe it's relevance. I don't know.
1: Well that kind of brings us full circle back to the evolutionary idea that people see these things because they're re- relevant it helps you adapt and it you survive to reproduce because you know the Carthaginians aren't marching over the hills uh, into LA anytime soon so I really don't need to see a Roman ghost to warn me about what's going to happen I need to I need to see a more local ghost that knows some info I can use you know what's the you know good restaurant down the street or, yeah. or something like that it, it's it or what exactly and what you know what house am i going to move into and things are going to start flying around i'll never resell it and i'll lose all my money and you know <laughs> it's it's it, it seems like a good question to me and, and to uh, the chain of of dismissal is often as tenuous as the chain of of logic yeah, yeah. used to come at it from either direction, and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. and like I said, I'm not trying to change the world. I'm just trying to be annoying, and I want to be annoying to everybody. You know, I'll be annoying to skeptics, and I'll be annoying to believers. It doesn't. Well, oh, so. like <laughs> oh, thank you, but that's it's you have to play with the ideas, and if the chain of logic is tenuous from one direction, it can be just as tenuous from the other direction, and i uh, the and you see it in scientific explanations you know everything from swamp gas to to weather balloons to uh, whatever you wanna you know that people are mistaking bears for for bigfoot you know on a routine basis or that ghosts are plumbing you know <laughs> my uh, or mold and and yeah. it it's the the chain of events that would have to happen would be almost supernaturally coincidental for the, the plausible, rational scientific explanation, as they would be to simply say, this is odd, and we don't know the mechanism.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, um, it seems like there's, yeah, I am guilty, horribly, of... Um when people tell me this, 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 and this happened, my my one of my responses is, well, what is the most likely thing? Um, like, it, let's see the the thing recently with the um, with the Falcon Nine rocket blowing up in Cape Canaveral, and they said, well, there was something flying towards the rocket. I looked at it, it's like it doesn't even touch the rocket. What are you talking about here? And then my first th- my first thought was. That was shot from a really long way off. You can tell because when it blows up, it takes like ten seconds for the damn sound to get there, which means that it zoomed in so it's looking at about a half a degree of 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 the of the horizon or a half a degree of of the uh, the complete uh, uh, spectrum of what you could be seeing, or, you know, of uh, the the entire. Like if there, if you're looking at 180 degrees of of view, you're looking at one degree through that through that uh, telescope, the telescopic lens. So. If something flies by there and it's not right next to the rocket, it can look like it's going really damned fast because it's going through the field of view one degree of field of view um, a mile closer, or two miles closer, or three miles closer, and you can't tell how far it is away from the rocket. So my you know my first explanation, and then you know uh, Robert Schaefer, the the uh, the 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 uh, king of fundamentalist skeptics, says, "Well, it's a bird." It's like I, I'm sorry, but I tend to agree with him. But you know. Ten years ago, I would have been mad at myself for saying that.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny, I. Uh, or maybe fifty. <laughs> yeah, I, but that's the thing. Is like, I, most of us who are seriously willing to play with these ideas are not going to dismiss the possibility that something like a bird, or that you know, that there are explanations that are possible. It's. But
0: yeah, what's uh, more probable? I hate that sometimes it's like what is the more probable thing, and then they come up with something that sounds completely like you said, just as ridiculous and stupid as the the paranormal explanation, but they think it's more probable, so that must be it.
1: Well, and that's why I, I say things like. You know, it's gotcha. What what people want isn't necessarily to understand the the phenomena or understand what's going on, or even like some sort of existential, you know, what's the meaning of life kind of thing. What they want is the gotcha that they've been lied to, or the gotcha that they've they've um, nothing that they're being told by the an authority, or nothing they're being told by somebody right, who's let's everything <laughs> as we meet the authority. exactly. And to me, that's just as silly. But <laughs> there does seem to be uh, a, a certain willingness to entertain the ideas more when you don't immediately and, and as an essential element of investigating the natural universe rule out the possibility that not everything is covered by the current theories.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. You must, but the, 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 the thing about current theories is they cover so damned much. And so since they answer a lot of things and provide us with, you know, a podcast here and light and, and, uh, uh, reasonably, uh, uh, you know, a certain reasonably certain, uh, uh, we can be reasonably certain we're not going to die in the next second, as we were, you know, in in in, 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 in even a hundred years ago. That that stuff must be you you must worship that thing because it's 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 right about so many things. And if it's right about so many things, then the things that it's not right about are just out of its reach, but still reachable. Um, and the the, uh, the you know the argument of, of uh, Dawkins and Tyson and people like that, and you know, Bill Nye the Science Nerd, is that yeah you know, if if it is possible then that must be the thing rather than reserve judgment i had a i went out to the uh uh the dodger game today with uh, my flying instructor and i was telling him about the crop circles and how i thought okay i think most of them probably close to all of them or at least the more elaborate ones are created by people because i've seen people i've seen video of people doing it time-lapse video and it wasn't fake and you know um but then I mentioned to him that some of the people in the circles had weird things like orbs flying around and flashes of light right in their face, which is weird because the, the people right next to them did not see the flash or they only see a little of it. And they're right next to them. But, it, you know, uh, this one guy told me it was like somebody having a flash bulb go off in your face right in front of your face. But it's in their visual field. It's not in the external world. Which is very strange. Um, because, you know, like I said, somebody 10 feet away doesn't see it. Whereas if it was a regular flash, they'd have seen it. They, everybody would see it. Um, I told him this and he got very, not very, he's, he kind of looked at me strange. And it's like, why are you accepting this weirdness having to do with crop circles when you think that's all made by people? I said, well, either one, the very strange things are happening to these people, or two, a bunch of them are lying to me. Um and they've been telling me this for quite a long time, different people, and sometimes people who do not know each other, some people who do not like each other tell me the same thing. So I have to say that I am reserving judgment and being interested, and that the reserved judgment thing seems to be, it seems to be like the worst thing you could possibly do um, because of the, 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 the certainty fetish, as I call
1: it. Well, I spend a lot of time that's why i tend to like historical cases cuz you you get a lot more people talking about it over a lot more span of time and you get to see the evolution of the explanations and the explanations are sometimes fascinating yeah. uh, and uh, but you can see the logical chain that really hasn't changed all that much uh, that that it goes from this misinterpretation or ignorance to to uh, to misidentification and then uh, obviously they're crazy and that is that has been true ever since people have been reporting these things, and I think in the end what what gets under my skin a little bit when i 'm reading articles uh, is that I read uh, articles by a lot of skeptics just because well you know, slightly ma- slightly masochistic tendencies I like to <laughs> I do too. I, I I mean it's I I am interested and I read maybe them Maybe I'm just I don't want to admit the massiveness. <laughs> yeah. But I I do it and I just the 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 sheer arrogance with yeah. which and surety with which the statements are made and the even questions like should people should anybody be wasting their time studying this stuff at all? It's like um people are reporting this. So even if yeah, you don't believe you your wife. yeah it's like even <laughs> exactly even even if you don't believe it's true this is a human phenomena and it involves human consciousness and of course then we get into the nebulous area of defined a human consciousness and until somebody can can tell me that it is purely a chemical mechanism or purely an electrical phenomena, uh, I start having trouble believing that, oh, well, this is just a function of the human mind. The human mind can misinterpret things, can misunderstand things, can hallucinate, and can do this for thousands of years, and those people have not been weeded out.
0: According to what we were saying earlier, why would you want to weed them out? Because the, 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 if we did not pay... Huh, this is a nice radical thing you brought up. If we do not pay attention to the anomalous, does that mean that we are doomed as a species? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I bet it does.
1: I'd like to say yes, yes. Hire an anomalous. It's very important for the survival of the species. Um, <laughs> you can contact Greg Bishop. <laughs> he'll, he'll find uh, an appropriate anomalous for whatever you need. But... Uh, the it does seem like it serves a purpose. Otherwise, it wouldn't have continued happening. And the question isn't necessarily, is that purpose to tell us something about an objective reality? We don't care. Um, there's a a, a famous uh, anthropologist named uh, Marvin Harris uh, who gave an example of studying a small village, uh, I believe it was in India, where he... It noticed there was a, sh- a very serious and hard to to explain discrepancy in the number of bulls to cows, uh, in in this village, that didn't make any sense. It wouldn't occur naturally unless somebody was killing cows, and of course they they they, they were very devout uh, Hindus, and, fi- uh, and nobody was killing any cows. And anthropologists went in and talked to people there, and there they said we've noticed. Something odd here, why are there so many bull so so many cows and so few bulls and there 's an obvious ecological explanation for that. You only need one bull and a lot of cows if you want more cows, <laughs> and if you don 't eat the meat of the bulls, then they 're not that useful to you, and you know they, you're, you, you need the, but you like the milk, so <laughs> yeah. you want more cows. But he said, well, are are you killing cows? And they were horrified. They said, no, that's terrible. We would never do that. We don't kill cows. I mean, these cows are sacred. We we would never do that. And did some further research and found that it was obvious that there was no other way this could be happening except that cows were being killed. And he, he pointed this out and realized that he was phrasing the question differently. He's like, do you feed the bulls? and they said no we don't we don't feed the bulls i mean we don't need bulls <laughs> they're on their own yeah. <laughs> and they said, so he said okay I, I, this this is interesting and the rather than having the mindset that well they're killing cows and this is a rationalization of how they're killing cows he said every phenomena that we observe has this, and they called, called it an emic versus an etic interpretation. There's what the objective observer, and he, he may have used the term objective, but he meant an outside observer okay. Okay. sees, but then there's also an internal uh, interpretation of that observer who says, uh, according to my cultural standards, this is what I see and this is how I interpret it. And then there's the, the 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 emic or emic uh interpretation, which is would be we don't kill cows and here 's how we explain what's happening right. so you have this sort of conjunction on any phenomena of these four perspectives, and tr- teasing out the, the a reality from that when a human consciousness is involved is not an easy thing to do, and I get slightly annoyed at skeptics who think that it's actually quite simple, that you, you know, obviously you're crazy or you're, <laughs> you're misinterpreting, or, you have, or you, know, you, you have an agenda, you want to make money, you have a TV show, the, <laughs> the usual explanations. And if every phenomena has these multiple interpretations, not, not, we don't care whether there is an objective reality to it, but there is a reality that's being described and a reality as we understand it as an external person and as an internal observer understands it. And it's important to 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 look at that that one element that always seems to creep in and that's human consciousness. How does human consciousness work and we don't understand that.
0: <laughs> yeah well it's it, it's everybody's complaining now cuz they can't really hear me. When uh, Aaron's speaking and vice versa, I'm trying to do different things. To I've never had another guest in the studio here, studio in my room. Let us play a little bit of music here, and then I can get some water. Is that okay? Yeah, Yeah, I can get some water because I'm getting a headache from this this beautiful um, sour ale that we shared here right before the show. And is there a song that you've heard on the show that you want to hear or you like? Or I got a huge like UFO. This is my UFO collection. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, he does have
0: quite a collection. It's impressive. Yeah, there's oh, here we go. Flying saucers by Nina Hagen. Did you see that picture I took with Nina Hagen? Uh, I'll, I'll show it to you later. I was at Roswell in 1990. No, not in '87. It was 2007, I think. It was a for. It's a. It was the 60th, and we were in the the hangar. You know, the the, the Roswell Army Air Force hangar where supposedly they brought the wreckage and all that. We're in there, you know, and Farah's there, Ferry Yorduzu, and Peter Robbins, and Dolan, and Steve Bassett, and all these people. I was lucky enough to be speaking at that conference. And we look up, and this, this TV crew has come in, and there's this crazy woman with them. And, and my wife and I look at each other and go, Is that Nina Hagen? Holy shit, it's Nina Hagen. And we were like, you know, we started fanning, fanboying out and going, Oh, oh God, it's Nina Hagen um she was there filming a show for german tv and of course she's been into ufos from the beginning so she had a reality show on german tv at the time so she came to roswell to the conference the festival to cover it and so they said why don't you go down to the the hangar because they're having a big you know wing ding there right now so she showed up and she started talking to people and i um i took a picture <laughs> with her and i don't look like a total doofus in it but it's, I mean, it was, God damn it, it was Nina Hagen. So here's Nina Hagen with um, Flying, uh, where is it? With Flying Saucers. And uh, we'll be right back here with uh, uh, Esoterics, Aaron Esoterics Daba. about the thing by phil harris i really love that one let me try one more time with this audio thing and i'll get some water do you want anything to drink yeah all right okay <laughs>
2: Walking down the beach one bright and sunny day, I saw a great big wooden box a floating in the bay. I pulled it in and opened it up, and much to my surprise, ooh, I discovered it right before my eyes. Ooh, I discovered it right before my eyes. I picked it up and ran to town This happened. Be as a king, I took it to a guy I knew who'd buy most anything. But this is what he hollered at me as I walked in his shop. Oh, get out of here with that before I call a cop. Oh, get out of here with that before I call a cop. I turned around and got right out of running for my life. And then I took it home with me to give it to my wife. But this is what she hollered at me as I walked in the door. Oh, get out of here with that. And don't come back no more. Oh, get out of here with that. And don't come back no more. I wandered all around the town until I chanced to meet a hobo who was looking for a handout on the street. He said he'd take most any old thing. He was a desperate man. But when I showed him the. He turned around and ran. Oh, when I showed him the. He turned around and ran. I wandered on for many years, a victim of my fate, until one day I came upon St. Peter at the gate. And when I tried to take it inside, he told me where to go. Get out of here with that and take it down below. Oh, get out of here with that and take it down below. The moral of the story is if you're out on the beach and you should see a great big box and it's within your reach, don't ever stop and open it up. That's my advice to you, cause you'll never get rid of them, no matter what you do. Oh, you'll never get rid of them, no matter what you do.
0: All right, one more while we try and get this uh, set up. Oh, this is um, uh, take me to your ladder. I'll see your leader later in Italian
4: sulla luna le donne sono alte cose, e forse di più oh no, no, army, baby. allora io prenderò la mia astronave e quando è arrivato sarò questo dirò che dirò che dirò ehi baby lasciami baby, salire con baby, la scaletta baby, fino a te Baciare te tanto tanto, per provare l'effetto che fa, baciare una bocca grande così, sognare due occhi grandi così, lasciami salire, fammi provare presto. tre piedi e niente di più oh no niente di più noi siamo tre piedi meglio così una strage farò
0: Well, I could not uh, get this other microphone working, so we'll still have to uh, share, which means you're going to have to come back when I have two microphones here, Aaron, if that's okay.
1: No problem at all. (laughs) Now that we're neighbors. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
0: I found... Well, you used to live in San Francisco, and then you you were in New York. Oh, we already discussed it. You were in New York, and then San Francisco, and then um, after you moved here, you went to South Africa for what two weeks?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was in South Africa for two weeks, so and how then were you doing there? I was actually at a, a conference uh, presenting some research my wife and I had done uh, on uh, it was the International uh, HIV/AIDS Conference, uh, and uh, I I did the technical work. She's a psychologist, and did the uh, the the actual serious uh, serious work (laughs) (laughs) I wrote software
0: I was exceedingly lazy before we did this show and I did not write down any questions because I figured we have enough to talk about and we have for an hour is there something you want to talk about or ask me that you've thought of
1: yeah, actually, I, uh, I'm i very interested in the last uh, interview you did uh, regarding the phantom clowns. Because I've always had a fascination with uh, why clowns are so scary. I, I've written a few things on it myself, but just very much touched on it. never really considered this whole phantom clown thing. It's just, I mean... Basically, I'd like to talk about uh, evil clowns, by which I mean clowns. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what is your take on what's going on right now with uh, this sudden rash of sightings of phantom clowns?
0: After talking to um, Skylar and Daniel the other day, um, I thought that the way I would look at it is l- just like the you know the paranormal entity thing that you've uh, that we were just talking about. You know, do these. Are they corporeal or not? I don't think so. Um, I think there's a some sort of nexus between an, ins- an instigating event, um, a sort of a group mind that happens around what, what's going on here and what happens in the community... And I'm choosing to look at it as kind of a, like a paranormal flap area. And it actually, actually, at the end of the, talk, uh, the uh, interview, we kind of said, well, you know, I think, um, was it Skylar? Or no, no, Daniel asked me. He said, well, so what do you think is going to happen? I said, I think it's going to peter out and just not going to be anything after. It's going to be just like a flap. It just stops happening. The thing that fascinated me is he went on a map, like you see here on the, on the site. And here's Greenville right in here. Greenville is right here, which is where all the um, uh, clown sightings are going on. What these are are from the UFOstalker.com site and all the UFO sightings that have happened around Greenville in the last, I don't know how many years. So this is not time bound like uh, in the last
1: week or two or three. Wasn't this the same relative area where they had all the Lizard Man sightings a decade ago? Oh, no. Idea. Where was Lizard
0: Man? Let's look it up. Uh, Skate or swamp lizard man was lee county south carolina which is near greenville south carolina too i mean you you you, you might be right here and guess what it's near a swamp swamp gas uh, lizard man yeah it just says lee county
1: doesn't say i don't know if greenville is in lee county
5: but there was a big flap
1: yeah. there was a big flap i think it was in the 80s Right. Uh, of lizard man sightings somewhere in the Carolinas, and I can't remember exactly where. But uh, this says South Carolina. Okay.
0: It won't tell you what town. It just says Lee County. So maybe somebody knows which county um, uh, uh, Greenville is in. Apparently, it's not in. Oh, let's let's look up Greenville, South Carolina, Bishopville, and Lynchburg. It might not be in the same county, but it is in South Carolina. If you want to talk about name, uh, the name game, I don't think there's. I don't think there's any... Um, see, Greenville doesn't have any, any uh, Fordian connections. If it, you know, if it was called, you know, Fayetteville, you know, uh, then maybe. Another thing that um, uh, Dan noticed was that right in the middle of the map, um, the two numbers, for some reason, and he could not explain why, 13 and 33 appear right in the middle of the map. And I don't know what the 13 and 33 represent. <laughs>
1: It's very odd. I uh, I don't have an explanation for it either. I just I, it's interesting, like clusters of phenomena where the phenomena don't, phenomena seem to have no relation whatsoever. UFOs and lizard men and phantom clowns and Lord knows what else has actually you know gone on there. If we started digging through the uh, the literature about. Uh, about what strange phenomena there but it's part of that uh, the notion of strange attractors that once strange things start happening somewhere yeah. things strange things continue to happen.
0: Yeah. Uh Steve has helped us Greenville is in the upper northwest corner of the state and half the state away. Um uh, 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 Stephanie liked uh, uh Nina Hagen, of course. And uh that, yes that was that was uh Aaron's wow they went on a whole a whole thread on Nina Hagen and pancakes. Anyway <laughs> I do not know what's going on there. However, like I said, I think it's just going to peter out like any other flap. The The other funny thing is they went, the, the police said that they talked to the kids and the kids said that the clowns were living in a house, an abandoned house next to a pond in those woods. Um, and I don't know where they came up with that because the, the police said they went to the house and they found no clown-related paraphernalia there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it would be funnier if they had said there were a hundred clowns living in the house yeah. together yeah. <laughs> crammed into a very small house
0: yeah well they, they did say that well, some of the kids said that a couple of the clowns had run off and jumped into a car that had other clowns in it and had driven off It was like a black uh, like Honda Civic or something like that and they did not know how many clowns were in the car and of course when Skylar mentioned it I said what is wrong with them there's 40 in there <laughs>
1: What I've started uh, wondering about, was there a specific point in time that we can identify where clowns became the creepiest thing around, where you you never see a clown and think, oh, that's amusing, the kids are going to love it. You think, does he have a machete? Is he going to uh, come after me? That (laughs) seems more
5: like a grown-up thing,
1: though. Yeah, but even Lon Chaney, there's a famous quote from him where it says, "Uh, a a clown isn't funny in the moonlight. (laughs) A lot of things aren't funny in the moonlight.
0: That's another thing that came up during the show. I thought, I have never been scared of clowns. I am still not scared of them. They've always been a non-issue to me. They've neither been scary nor funny. And I have a a lot of people I think that I knew that I grew up with had the same attitude. You know, I'm 51 or whatever. I don't you know when did that start where clowns are supposed to be scary i I don't know what that happened in southern california in you know anaheim and san diego and the places i grew up nobody cared about clowns they just thought they were stupid you know there was it wasn't like i said neither scary nor funny they were just a thing you go to the circus and you're like whatever clowns are trying to be funny they're so stupid never thought of them as something scary and i don't know when that started or where that started
1: well, one interesting interpretation I've heard of it is that uh, if you look at a clown's face, it's that painted on uh, smile or frown and that there's only one other time in in, in life or in death when <laughs> it, that happens and that's when you're embalmed and your face is frozen <laughs> like that and that's yeah. why clowns are particularly creepy because everybody's sure that that's, they're just one step away from the madness that leads to death. Yeah.
0: <laughs> One of the uh, witnesses saw a clown standing. Let me see if I can find the link. I think it's actually on the Mysterio. So, uh, there's, there's a news for the local Fox News station linked on the Mysterio uh, Mysterioso posting. What I thought was really interesting was one of the witnesses said, um, uh, a resident at the Park Haywood Apartments, it's all apartments. Um, I'm surprised it's not, um, strangely enough, I'm surprised it's not uh, trailer parks on Congaree Road reported seeing a clown in the complex's laundromat. And according to the instant report, the suspicious person did not make any action, just stood and stared. The women who saw the clown described him as a man between 20, ages twenty thirty-five and 45, approximately 5 feet 10 inches tall and 200 pounds. In the report, the witness describes the suspicious person as wearing a white swimmer's cap with red hair coming, coming out of the sides, a white, fa- white face paint and a red painted line around his mouth. The subject was reportedly wearing a gray long sleeve shirt, white gloves, white balloon pants, and black boots. The witness said he smelled like house paint.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, it's such a random thing to have a strange phenomena flap over clowns. And I mean, obviously we have plenty of examples of like killer clowns. I mean, John Wayne Gacy and, Mm -hmm. you know, know, Stephen King's, what's his, Pennywise and things like that. (laughs) Yeah, and just... uh, Plenty of horror movie examples of clowns. It's interesting that people are now associating clowns almost exclusively with when a clown appears out of context in a you know, clown's not in a circus or at a kid's birthday party. It's an evil clown, <laughs> and it's it's worthy of note and worthy of of uh, reporting as a strange phenomena. Yeah. Which you know it can't be good if you're a clown. I mean, <laughs> you have to get to and from where you're going to. And are, uh, you know, but then again, clowns behave oddly, and it's the whole clowns transgress <laughs> uh, normal rules, and, you know, maybe that carries over, you know, people start worrying if, you know, yeah, they transgress normal rules, you know, soon they're going to start transgressing some of those, you know, thou shalt not things, you know, like thou shalt not kill, <laughs> and then we're really in trouble. Well,
0: I think, you know, it might also be an uneasiness with the trickster uh, in the society, I would bet you there is not there are not sightings of killer clowns in um societies where the where the trickster is honored. Um and the trickster is not feared, the trickster is what's the word? Um is looked upon as a normal element of uh of life. Um in our society the tricksters looked upon as, you know it's got to be a safe trickster, it's got to be you know Robin Williams or something. Um but if you get a uh crazy trickster like a clown seems to represent what did i say during the show chaotic chaotic tricksterism rather than um positive or constructive or whatever you call tricksterism that's t- designed to fool you and lead you and 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 transform you as a good trickster should but as uh, clowns are not there to fool uh, are not there to transform you in any way whatsoever they're just there to mess with you supposedly in a, in, a, in a it's a completely nonsensical way they, they 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 do not fulfill the clown archetype as you would see one like in a navajo ceremony they have clowns there too but they're tricksters and things they act as something that reminds you not to take certain things so seriously they make fun of the more serious kachinas during the ceremonies they're there to make fun of what's going on to remind you that that's, there's there's um, there's another part of whatever the psyche that d- might not accept what's going on and that there's always an element of what's the word there's always an element of randomness going on and you need that element of randomness but that's like I said that's a constructive um, uh, tricksterism not a destructive or useless tricksterism am, am I am I barking up the wrong tree here? Or?
1: No, no, I, I. it's interesting that you bring up the, the whole notion of the trickster because when it ties a little bit back into what we were talking about in terms of the evolutionary advantage. Why else in countless religions, countless mythologies, is the trickster enshrined as this thing that is reminding us that the universe does not always behave the way that you expect it to behave? Keep talking. And... It, it you see that motif again and again, and you will wonder if it's not so much to to warn ourselves just about the ridiculousness of life. Although there's a certain appeal to saying that uh, we we have a tacit recognition of uh, of absurdism as, as the reality of human existence. It's not it it actually works very well as an explanation of how we told ourselves that not everything we, we see is necessarily exactly as we perceive it, and that we have to understand that there is an adaptive mechanism at work to, to, to recognizing when there's a pattern that falls outside our normal understanding of reality, and we need to notice that pattern. It's, right. it's the play in the odds. <laughs>
0: yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, while Aaron was talking, I actually brought in one of my uh, Mudhead Kachinas, which is one of the tricksters in the uh, uh, Hopi pantheon of, uh, of uh, entities or, well, Kachinas. Yeah, Mudhead And uh, they're, they're, I wish I had a camera on here, but it basically, I I got it. it, They go through the ceremony and basically, and they pinch old women. They run up behind the other kachinas and shove them and stuff. I was at a, a ceremony in, where was it? It was one of the pueblos in New Mexico. And I think I've told this story before. there was a kid there that was being the trickster, and he had i think he was being the trickster because basically he was running around in a bull costume with like a with a cloak over him and bull horns, and he was chasing children and children would run up and like they would they were doing all this very serious dancing and ceremony um and this kid's running around chasing bands of small children up the street. And they're all screaming and running and being scared of this, you know, this old, this like teenage, early teenage kid, like maybe a 12 year old kid, 13 year old kid who was part of the ceremony. And he's got, he's got two sticks in his front hands to represent his front feet because he's supposed to be a four ped for a quadruped and he's running after these kids. And the coolest thing about this, besides, you know, you could see he was playing the trickster in this and he had a very serious role to play in this, even though you could see him cracking up while he was doing it. Um, when I was leaving, I had this big, thick leather jacket on. I was leaving with my girlfriend, and as we're walking down the street back to the car, I feel this huge poke in my back, like, and I get shoved. I turn around, and the kid's running away laughing his ass off. And I felt so happy and privileged that the kid had felt like he had to chase me down the street and mess with me after I'd watched the ceremony. And, you know, did he do that just because he's a, a mischievous, chi- mischievous child, or did he do it because... He thought for some, you know, I don't want to think I'm special or anything, but he thought for some reason that this outsider needed a little bit of, you know, a little bit of uh, tricksterish nastiness, too. I don't know, but it, 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 I almost cried. I was, so, I, was, I was laughing and crying at the same time.
1: It was a wonderful uh, experience. Well, it's interesting because whenever you find a religion with a or a mythology that uh, has a trickster god, that trickster god isn't just a sort of comic relief. It's essential to to the entire world view and I think that ultimately, it's uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's real or not. It's a warning. <laughs> it's it's telling us uh, that you you know you don't have to uh, to pay attention. You know to every strange thing that comes along, but maybe you might want to, you know, keep an eye for those patterns. Yeah. Yeah, somebody asked if
0: I had one of those Gacy paintings. Yes, I did. I had a John... And maybe that was part of the, you know, maybe that was part of the myth, too, was just that happening sometime in the... When he was in prison, he would produce those paintings. I used to be a a, a kind of a sick person where I thought it was really cool to have stuff like that. Right now, I'm, I sold it because I... At some point, I said, look, I think I just... I paid money based on a lot of people's horrible deaths and thinking that was cool. I thought, yeah, I don't know if I want that around me anymore. And on the, uh, another reason for it and the very mundane reasons, cause I needed money to get my car fixed. But at that point I thought, I think I'm going to get rid of this now. But yeah, I had one of those Gacy paintings of him. It said, I'm Coco the clown. He had a little, it was just him like standing there and waving the one that you usually see. Um, I went to a gallery, I, it was actually at the, um, they, they put out a, a catalog for a long time, a muck, it was a muck books, they had an exhibit of Gacy paintings, and I, they had prices on them, it was $150, I said, do I get this painting? They said, no, what happens is you we take the money, and then we tell Gacy in prison, and he paints it for you, the exact same thing. So he did, and it got sent to me, and I had it on the wall for many years, and I think my... My wife at the time got freaked out for it from it and she buy it and she told me to take it down. So it actually had been in storage at the point that I sold it. Because she it bothered her too. And I was like, Oh, come on, you're so uptight. And, you know, in the in the fullness of years I realized I was probably not something that I should have bought or supported or anything. But yes, I did have one of those paintings and I thought it I think it's because I thought it was a badass thing to do, which is uh not right.
1: Well, you kind of, yeah, again, you, you played the odds. You didn't mock the mummy. <laughs> you sold the painting and got rid of it. And uh, uh, you, you may have saved yourself some headaches, you know, existential headaches uh, <laughs> as a result. Maybe. Yeah, it's,
0: you know, it's, it's just a process of um, getting older and you just realize that some of the things that you did when you are younger was pretty stupid. Um, I never did anything that might, like, you know, I didn't do things like, you know, do tons of drugs or, you know, You know, ride motocross or anything like that. I just... You know, my thrill was doing things like buying Gacy paintings. So stupid. Um, The funny thing is I got into that because of um, John Waters being into um, murderers and things like that. And he used to be a... He still is a huge hero of mine. He doesn't talk about that stuff very much anymore. I think he might have gone past it, too. At least I hope he has. And uh, um, at the beginning of Female Trouble, I think, or one of the John Waters movies, during the credits there is a still of a helicopter made out of popsicle sticks. It's like, what the hell is that doing in there? It was a helicopter made out of popsicle sticks made by Tex Watson in prison. And he just happened to, he said, I'm going to show this at the beginning of the movie. And he even had Patty Hearst in one of his movies too. So, I mean, that's not a question.
1: We're having a conversation. <laughs> no, it's a, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, there's all sorts of strange things that people collect. And uh, have you seen there's these new sh- uh, shows like uh, Haunted Collector, where they're uh, yes. collecting the haunted objects. Or the, there's dolls and chairs. And uh, there's I've seen a lot of things out there on the web now too, the, about artifacts that are and that you can't sell on eBay now. I believe you're not allowed to sell cursed objects or magical objects or claim any sort of magical powers on eBay. Is that right?
0: I guess a long time it, I guess that would make sense, but they were probably having too many complaints. Uh, a long time ago, I tried to buy a, an e-meter off of eBay and I missed the, I missed the bid by like a dollar or something like that. Somebody got it for 24 and I'd bid 23 or something like that. And, um, then Scientology got involved and told them they couldn't sell them, sell them anymore. Yeah. Even though it was, you know, it said this is our property. We have a copyright on it and people can't sell them. Um, but i w- yeah i was this close to getting an e meter i really wanted one um, uh stephanie says a trickster guards the door to the liminal the space of the sacred yes that that is another uh job of the the trickster i don't know if, does that spread is that a native american thing or is that a does that's is that all over the world because i know there's trickster entities in many societies the, the one i brought up in my cro- in my crop circle thing was a uh, Nancy, the spider in um west african i think uh mythology and i'm not sure see th- that trickster is a storyteller and somebody that um causes chaos um in order to i can't remember what the reason for the chaos was probably to make the heroes not seem as 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 a uh, as a uh, uh, Ego, ego, inflated as they are. Well, I'll
1: tell you, it's balance. Uh, take, uh, it's the balance of 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 good, evil, chaos, and order. I mean, Loki, for example. Yeah. I mean, it's a essential uh, part of a coherent universe. I suppose is. Uh, whether it's uh, you know good evil uh, are, are not exactly concepts that <laughs> that apply. It's just the the balance of the universe and in most of the religions where there's a, a trickster god. But maybe it's also just that little bit to remind us that things are going to happen that we're not going to be able to explain, and we <laughs> we need to pay attention to them. So I'm very much into this. Like I don't I don't want anybody out there to. Uh, run into strange phenomena and and ignore them because they've been told to ignore them i want them to run into them and say hey that's a little bit strange i better tell somebody or i better run away because that looks like a monster it might eat me you know that's yeah. a, my, my whole philosophy is don't uh you know don't scare people but you know tell them to keep their eyes open
0: okay um here is a list of the some of your recent uh i think the last one i read is probably way down here somewhere with the exception of the uh, training, uh, no, I'm sorry. This one I read, um, this uh, schizo, uh, schizotype tippy typey, and strange phenomena, which we did go over. Oh, and you talked about the mummy. Sisyphus was a sissy. What? What is the story behind that essay?
1: Oh, so that's the story of a ghost, and I forget exactly where it was somewhere in the uk uh it goes to benji gear who that you can actually find the house that has his initials uh, It was family estate a prominent family i think it was in northampton i, I may be wrong about that uh, my memory uh, starts to fade a little bit the older i get but uh benji gear was uh the member of a prominent family that had produced mayors for the uh the, the the town for several generations, and he happened to be the latest mayor, who uh, was tasked with collecting. Uh, alms uh, to try and ransom uh, uh, people who were being held somewhere in the uh, Mediterranean by the Turks at the time, I think it was. That was a uh, real thing? Uh, that, that they yeah, they were ransoming, you know, I, presumably sailors captured the, by the by the, the, the Barbary pirates and things like that. So they they, uh, they did uh, negotiate with terrorists then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. and uh, he, Although apparently they didn't so much from uh, this this gentleman uh, Benjamin Gear uh, called Benji Gear. The, uh, he kept the money for himself, and he was caught and punished. And it was said that his ghost was condemned for these terrible actions to uh, empty the local lake uh, with a sieve for all eternity. Um, and it's the system. Exactly. Well, he he actually got out of it. He figured out uh, apparently his ghost was a little smarter than Sisyphus and uh, put a little uh, uh, a little uh, skin at the bottom of the safe, was able to empty the lake into the town, flooded the town, of which I could find no uh, indication that there had actually ever been a flood in the town. But I like the story anyway, yeah. because you know ultimately the you know Sisyphus you know kind of. Uh, you have to look at him, and I think it was part of absurdist philosophy to say Sisyphus must have been a really happy guy. I mean, he was <laughs> doing the same thing over and over, and you know, he's getting something out of it. And this is isn't that pretty much a description of life? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I thought the description of life is uh, it, it
0: was the most horrible thing because that's the title of the um, the uh, uh, the book by the uh, essay by uh, Camus, right? Yeah, *The Myth of Sisyphus*. Myth of Sisyphus* and the um, comparison with, you know, not postmodern but at that point modern man. And especially when did he write this in between the wars, right? Um uh World War 1 freaked everybody out and pissed everybody off and you know, started the I believe uh uh birth the um uh existentialist school and that uh this was a reaction to the war and uh, and the 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 horribleness of world war one and the usefulness usefulness uselessness of the war and then you know more questions about what is uselessness of toil and and uh capitalism and etc 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 but um yeah i I never saw sisyphus as somebody who would enjoy what he was doing (laughs) and it's because probably i was you know i don't know the I don't know, the Greek attitude towards it. All I know is Camus' attitude towards it.
1: Yeah, and, well, it's uh, the idea, uh, of course, for the absurdist, was this is, you know, he must be the happiest guy because he knows exactly what's going to happen. Wow. That it, the bull, He's going to roll the boulder up the hill, the boulder's going to roll back down, and he's going to do it all again. Um, which is a little bit uh, pretty good description of uh, people investigating strange phenomena. You know, these days we're on the the, the boulder up the hill. You know, you think you've got it somewhere, and then it rolls back down over you again. But uh, it's... uh, it, it's uh i like that one just because of the uh, punishment mostly i usually i come at these things from a very odd angle i thought that was very strange that you know number one this this well-respected mayor decided to for no particular reason steal all the money they were going to send to ransom people and then yeah it got condemned to this very sisyphean <laughs> fate and then the explanations after for what happened as a result of him uh Essentially, being a trickster, he figured yeah. his way out of it, and yeah. uh, and and uh, and had his uh, avoided his just desserts, and apparently drowned a lot of people as a result. Or that was the story. Um, and he's enshrined, and uh, they, they insist that this is uh, this is the. The, the folklore of the local area and it's great i mean it's, a, it's a, a lot of these stories you listen to them now and you say well this is just silly you know this is a silly folk tale that's told you know and they tell it to tourists but it, it contains something it contains well, a silly
0: folk, uh, you know. uh, silly folk tales are telling you what people are really thinking you know
1: but, also, what people are really doing, and it says I, I you know if you really wanted to get into what this was describing, it would be describing how you can't trust you know you can 't trust the government <laughs> would be the lesson I think a lot of people would take from that, but it's uh keep your eyes open, watch out for people doing you know terrible things, and if you do terrible things again it's the A lot of times, monsters are considered to be, or monsters, punishments of ghosts, things like that are considered to be, this is what happens if you step over the line, you commit some sort of crime, or you do some sort of behavior. Exactly. And this is just the the adult boogeyman. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All the things you've written on there, um, what one just sticks with you and keeps coming up and it's just, or even you wrote something and it became a theme.
1: Well, one of the things I wrote that actually, well, it, it's, it's hard for me to gauge sometimes, but two, two things. From a theme for yourself. A theme for myself. I, I think, uh, well, I, I, it, it's going to sound silly, but one of my, uh, one thing that keeps coming back for me, and it keeps coming back for a lot of, it actually has sort of endured its you know, evergreen content that i i seem to be answering questions on uh, routinely and I, at one point it got picked up by the k through twelve uh, uh... school system in alaska they were using it for something because it was yeah it, it was uh... called uh, uh... if it's not one thing it's an otter uh, and it's it was about an alaskan monster and i, I may i apologize to any uh, tinglet, uh alaskans who might be listening but I, I it's i believe it's called the kushtaka and uh it's uh, uh an otter that uh is an interesting creature mostly cuz it wants to steal your soul and uh it, the uh a uh, kind of a uh, kind of a trickster they uh, they and yeah I definitely classify it as a trickster. The idea is that uh, sometimes people are tricked out into blizzards or tricked out to sea the otter can sound like a baby, um, and what it 's trying to do is make other otters it wants to make more kushtaka and uh, Uh, And it does that by drowning you, essentially, (laughs) (laughs) and turns you into Kashtaka. And what's interesting uh, in the mythology, of course, is that they um, it's uh, people who are considered uh, prime shaman material are people that there's something a little bit odd about. And it's said that they were taken by the Kushtaka but somehow managed to escape. Every once in a while, Kushtaka is doing things, and occasionally save people, uh, you know, from blizzards and things like that. Very can can be nice in that sort of trickster fashion where you don't know whether they're going to turn you into a Kashtaka or they're going uh, uh, to... Consider you worthy. Exactly. And it... Uh, and these people are then considered to be worthy shamans, or at least shaman material in our train. Right. What, what stuck with me about that is it's a complete description of uh, how survival is viewed. That you live in, in the Arctic, you know, odds are you might just disappear. You know, it's it's cold. It's you know, it's uh, very easy to freeze to death. Very easy to drown. Very easy to to simply disappear, and nobody ever finds finds the body. And this was an to me an attempt to to reconcile that possibility. Uh, and sometimes people came back, <laughs> and if you managed to survive, you would. Uh, you would be considered having been returned by the Kushtaka and therefore have a an aura about you of yeah. some sort of of. Uh, it, it wouldn't be holiness; it would simply be you'd you otherness. know otherness exactly. And and that's just a story. Well, I found this one particularly interesting just because you know otters are so cute and they hold hands when they float on their backs and all that stuff, and then yeah. they want to steal your soul as well. So I kind of yeah. I, I dug that as a as a theme. Yeah. But you see this repeated again and again with all sorts of strange phenomena, that there's this flip side to a lot of the phenomena that are reported that just like sometimes people see Bigfoot and it's fascinating, and Bigfoot, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, of yeah. course, but you now Bigfoot waves and or stares at them and copies their... I watched one recently uh, where they copied the movements of somebody, uh, yeah, sort of like mimic... They copy their speech, too, which I didn't found, find out
0: until about three or four years ago.
1: So the, they, and even uh, you, even you have your good aliens, you have your bad aliens, yeah. you have the different reports, but that there is this duality to almost all the strange phenomena reported. You have ghosts that protect families from other ghosts, even. You know, you get <laughs> yeah. that, that there's this duality to every strange phenomenon you see where there's a essential amount of good and bad that really is reminiscent of the whole notion of the trickster.
0: Encoded in this uh, uh, otter uh, archetype, yeah. yeah, in the Kushtaka. I am so sorry I didn't read all of these before you came over. And please, please, please forgive me. Uh, I hope showing you the the, the uh, shelf with all the weird <laughs> signed books, I, I I showed Aaron the, the my uh, some of my signed bo- showed off my signed books, which actually was uh, just a big ego thing for me. It's like look at this cool signed book, but um. Uh, since he lives in town, uh, I think he will be back. Uh, not, We still have 15 minutes, but he'll be back at, at some point uh, very soon to talk about more of this. Oh, William Burroughs.
1: Do you mention William Burroughs in this? Uh, in this particular article? Yeah,
0: it's, it's one of the, it's one of
1: the uh, tags. I must have mentioned him somewhere. I think I quoted him somewhere. I, some of these things I've written so long ago that yeah. I can't remember exactly yeah. what I used. But uh, I I use Burroughs quotes here and there. I'm a big fan of uh, a lot of the the old Doc Benway uh, uh, spoken word stuff he did. uh, You know what? How
0: much um, Burroughs have you read as opposed to how much have you listened to?
1: I, I've actually read a, uh, a lot more than I've listened to. The really? stuff I've listened to, uh, they, he did cut an album with uh, Laurie Anderson and John Giorno at yeah. one point. I think it was called uh, You're the Man I Want to Share My Money With or <laughs> something like that. Uh, I, have, I think I might
5: have uh,
1: some excerpts from that. Oh, it's just I got some great bits about... Uh, uh, sitting by the lake with Doc Benway in East St. Louis, and you know the, the 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 uh nurse bringing trays to them with a loaded hypo. We called her mother, wouldn't you? You know, <laughs> kind of thing. We <laughs> he called her mother, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. uh Filler question: Does Professor Esoterics have any breaking news on the Sea People? Who are the Sea People, besides the uh, Cartman when he ordered sea monkeys?
1: (laughs) Oh, the Sea People. It's the Bronze Age collapse, if I'm understanding correctly what you're asking, uh, that was caused by uh, uh, an invasion of who they called the Sea People, uh, and uh, nobody's really ever identified who who exactly they are. Unfortunately, I I haven't explored it too much, so I can't... uh, I, I can't comment with any expertise. Although I've been interested, I've been looking at some of the, the uh, literature. But I, you know, as I said, I'm not one of these people that wants to go out and, and do any of the digging or get eaten by the monsters. Or, 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 or I, I tend to pour through literature, uh, so I don't. I, I haven't looked into that too deeply. No.
0: I uh, I asked uh, Mac Tonys, "Have you read more Burroughs or listened to more?" Because he was a huge fan. He goes, "I've listened to far more than I've read." And I don't. We came to the conclusion that we'd done that not because we're lazy, but because for some reason, whatever key in our mind is unlocked by Burroughs, it's unlocked by his voice reading what he's going to say rather than writing it out. Because I've read, you know, three or four Burroughs novels. I don't even know if I've gotten to the end of them. I got most of the way through. Um, What's the one? Was Western Lands the Place one? The, Place, of Dead Roads. Place of Dead Roads. Yes, I've gotten most of the way through Place of Dead Roads, because I heard him reading it, and I was very interested. And in reading stuff that actually was part of Dead Roads, but never actually made it into the book, um, that uh, I found fascinating. So, you know, why the fascination with Burroughs? I mean, I, mine is—I I will tell you very shortly. Mine is because he basically was just like flipping off anything that looked like authority telling you what to do, anything that went against complete freedom. And that's why, you know, I'm always attracted to Burroughs.
1: Well, for me, and I, I know what you're saying. It's a fundamentally different thing to listen to him, read it as it is to, to, to read it. Uh, because there's something about the, the, his delivery and the voice and the way he, he essentially performs it. But what got me into him? And obviously I have some, some, uh, illusion of being a writer, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pretty good, you have good basis in reality.
0: Uh, but I, it's a good basis reality for being a writer. I it, he is very um, uh, succinct and clear writing, which is uh, that makes me a huge fan immediately. Go ahead.
1: But uh, what I, I what attracted me to Burroughs at first is that I would read his books, and that it was possible to write a book where. Which would make no sense whatsoever. You read something like "The Naked Lunch" or even "Place of Dead Roads," which is probably the most comprehensible one. soft machine, you know, all it, right. where a guy could write a perfect sentence, and just each sentence was just it was a jewel, yeah. And that was just astonishing for me. That yes. and and to be able to string together a story where maybe there wasn't a logical progression or, or or that everything was coherent in the traditional sense but that each bit of it was perfect it just seemed like such an achievement to me that yeah, it, it was it's, it, yeah it's it's almost like he's going
0: into um James Joyce area you know in a completely different way any writing which is so clear that it be, it crosses this rubricon into being psychedelic because it is so damn clear fascinates the hell out of me that Burroughs' favorite book, the uh, who, "Who You Can't Win, you can tell where Burroughs got his inspiration from just looking at that book. Um, Jack London's like that. Um, Truman Capote's like that. Uh, Tom Wolfe, maybe not so much. But for me, anyway. And there's a writer of the 19th century called Lafcadio Hearn, who... Um, Reading his stuff to me is like it's it's like being on a drug trip, and all he is is describing like his first day in Japan in 1880, whatever.
1: Yeah, I recognize the name. He, uh, I've I've looked at a lot of his stuff because he wrote enormous amounts of what the West actually ever knew about the the uh, folklore. And he had a huge career before that. Yeah, and amazing stuff. Amazing stuff that he wrote, and it, and one thing I run up against, and pe- sometimes people ask me, why aren't you, you know, why aren't you writing more uh, about Japanese yokai, or why aren't you writing more about Chinese ghosts? And there's a huge, rich tradition and an incredible literature. The problem, of course, is I don't speak the language, and so I rely on translations often, and they're hard to find it, it's, it's very difficult to find translations and Lafcadio Hearn was is fantastic because he did translate an awful lot of the stuff that we have available to us but this is still this huge body of literature that is not available to us
0: he uh, th- this has nothing to do with the paranormal and I don't care um, what he was was a writer he was um, he was born in the I think early 18. I mean the mid-1800s yeah lived in uh, a few different cities in uh, the United States. He was American. The other thing was he had some... He was like Lautrec. He had some kind of problem with his legs, and he was very, very short. His legs were very stuntedly short. Therefore, he was looked down upon, although he had this great mind, an incredibly, incredible great mind for writing. He moved to New Orleans. He married a black woman. He was not black. I think he was... I think he was, you know, as far as I can tell, he was uh, Caucasian, or at least passed for white, um he married a black woman which automatically gave him this certain status of not the best person in new orleans and he worked for the times picayune he wrote things he wrote a great piece that i a book that i have about um he sat with a um prisoner who was going to be hanged the next day and just talked to him for like or for in two days and he just talked to him and told the story of what he did why he did it what was going to happen to him and how he felt about it the, which was Nobody would even think to do that in that at that time. They said, "Oh, that's a guy's a crook, and you know he's he's nuts." And he sat down and talked to him. Um, and, And eventually, his wife died. I don't think you know. I think she got sick or something and died. He was so sick of the United States and what he thought was the you know the hypocrisy and everything. He left and went to Japan, and he stayed there for the rest of his life because he was so enchanted by Japan. And the Japanese loved loved him to death he's got uh, he's buried on the east side of japan like you know uh, east the, the the west side i'm sorry the J- the china side and he's got a, he's got a huge monument and they they really honored him um, and he took a japanese wife and all that and it, uh, at uh, he you know the japanese people said well if somebody was going to write about japan he was the one that came closest because if you're not born here you you just can't like any society, most of you, if you're not born there, you're not going to get it. And you know, Japan, India, places like that are particularly in, in that regard um, similar. China, and he, like I said, he he stayed there for the rest of his life. But the thing is that he he wrote about Japanese folklore. He wrote about life there. He wrote about the culture. He wrote about everything. He even wrote translated Japanese folktales. A whole book of Japanese folk tales. the one thing that just blows me away is that I remember is his first day in Japan and his and all he is doing is describing the colors what 's going on there, the people he 's looking at, how people understand him and talk back to him and all this on his first day in japan and it 's like being on a mushroom trip and it 's just a description of what 's going on, you know, and that kind of stuff i mean it, like you said when you said that thing about each sentence is a jewel that 's a um to me when i what I, I aspire to that kind of writing it's like let's say let's evoke everything we can with a very economic amount of words i you know if i can do i haven't been able to do that yet but that's everything you know every time i write i think how can i say this the best way in the smallest amount of words so if somebody gets it right away you know it, how do you feel about it when you're writing
1: well, when I'm writing, it's more a neurotic act. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I've come up with something that I think everybody should be uh, desperately afraid of, and uh, it's started to bug me, and uh, I, uh, I'm... I like
5: uh, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I stare at the paper, and hey, what's the old... Uh, it was a Mario Puzo. I stare at the paper until blo- drops of blood uh, uh, form on my forehead, and then I uh, start writing down everything that people should be afraid of. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, that it wasn't just that. Uh, again, it's Burroughs does this. Uh, various other writers, I I, I found Maupassant, if you want to go back to some yeah. classical ones, who who write in such a way that they can take something that is utterly illogical on its face mm-hmm. and 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 make it re- readable, coherent. I, I mean, I don't want to say that they don't they don't make yeah. the logical. Yeah. They don't make it logical. They make it coherent. And yeah. th- uh, that's what I'm... Uh, when, you, when,
0: you un- yeah. when you understand it, you wonder why you don't feel insane. Or you do feel insane, but for some reason, you understand the insanity. Yeah.
1: So for me, the uh, writing, I really want it to be a sort of gestalt for the reader that uh, they read through and maybe, you know, you get to the end. And, <laughs> and that's the problem I have is that I... I you, know, you can ask most of the people around me that I write fairly long things and uh, that's not uh, the the greatest strategy in in the world of internet content today. But uh, I I, want to achieve that sort of piece things together to achieve this sort of aha moment at the end. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, when I read your stuff, I do feel this aha moment because you're you know, and you're writing, you're kind of pulling me along. It's like, look at this next interesting thing. Look at this next interesting thing. And you're building a, not an argument, but building a story or an interest to the point where when i read your stuff i feel like i've being i'm being seduced into something that maybe i don't want to be is that what you're trying to do
1: that that is pretty much a good description of it i'm a, i'm a, at least like i said one a, one that i wrote very recently it was a complete bait and switch i was saying oh you believe this you believe this you believe this so what's so hard to believe about the, this other stuff and it really is a lot of it is a, I, it's, it's not so much i consider writing a con job as a uh, uh, you know you have a, you have a yeah but yeah you have a point to make and you know if you want to make it by leading people along making them agree with things until you spring something on them that they say well you know (laughs) i think you've taken it a step too far well i that's my role i i'm there to take it a step too far (laughs) and see what happens (laughs)
0: yeah i i think we could all take a lesson from aaron's writing um taking things a step too far i mean i i never do that I always think that what I'm thinking should be obvious to everybody if they think about it for half a second, and so I'm being very friendly about it. I'm not trying to con you, you know that. that but then, you know, I'll read, you know, something by you or 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 Burroughs or or anybody like that where they're just kind of going, "Come on, come on, come on, come on," and then, <laughs> <laughs> and when they do that, when that slap in the face comes, I'm delighted in laughing my ass off and it's a hard thing to do so you know this is uh one reason why i have aaron here we have three minutes left unless you want to go long or talk about other stuff or have time to go over canters or whatever
1: <laughs> well I, this has been a lot of fun i really enjoyed it. i and now that we're local we can do this a lot so yeah. you know anytime you want just feel free
0: <laughs> what would you like to listen to since you're the guest at the end of the show
1: oh i don't know uh, What what you got on your playlist
0: you know who Herbert Shermer is,
1: yeah, <laughs> Herbert Shermer talks about his abduction that's that's not really a
0: song. I wish it was um, We did talk a little bit about yeah that's too normal to It's like we talked a little bit about um Reich um I listened recently and i hadn't heard it a long time cloud busting by Kate Bush about Wilhelm Reich oh, yeah. yeah oh, you know what i w- I want to play this, and then we we'll think of something this is this is great it's a uh it's um from a movie, High School Confidential. It's uh, this woman doing a um, uh, beatnik poem. But I love it. And I've played it on the show before, I think. It's Philippa Fallon uh, who was an actress. Uh, uh, it, it's, the title is High School Drag, but I just call it drag. Let's see. My old
6: man was a bread stasher all his life. He never got fat. He wound up with a used car, a 17-inch screen, and arthritis. Tamari is a drag man. Tamari is a king-sized bust. (laughs) They cry, put down pot, don't think a lot. For what, time, how much, and what to do with it? Sleep, man, and you might wake up digging the whole human race, giving itself three days to get out. Tomorrow is a drag, Pops. The future is a flake. I had a canary who couldn't sing. I had a cat that let me share my pad with her. I bought a dog that killed the cat that ate the canary. What is truth? He had an uncle with an Ivy League heart. He had life with a belt in the back. He had a button-down brain. Wind up, a belt in the mouth, and a button-down lip. We coughed blood on this earth. Now there's a race for space. We can cough blood on the moon soon. Tomorrow is Dragsville, cats. Tamara is a king-size drag. <laughs> a fast short swing with a gassy chick turn on to a thousand joys smile on what happened or check what's going to happen you'll miss what's happening turn your eyes inside and dig the vacuum Tamara drag.
0: you Yeah, know, it was like that little piece of um fake uh uh beatnik era poetry straight out of a Hollywood movie. Um, Aaron wants to hear Lux Lisbon. Why do you like them?
1: I, uh, I got an email once from the, uh, from the band that said they uh, liked my blog (laughs) and uh, they, uh, they, sent some music to me and i love them and i, I uh, so any bands that uh, read my blog feel free to uh, send me music cuz uh, <laughs> <laughs> i uh, i enjoy listening to new kinds of stuff i would have never found them they're very indie and uh now they're uh, one of my favorites excellent okay here's um show me the money by lux lisbon
0: thank you so much for uh being on the show and please come back soon it's a pleasure
1: anytime
7: So come on, release us from the terror of a life You know is ending just one minute at a time From the terror of a life You know ending just one minute at a time the one.